Page fright is recorded in Vancouver on the traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Hello and welcome back to Page Fright. My name is Andrew French. I'm on Twitter at the Andrew French, and this, is, of course, is the only literary podcast that I host. Today, I am thrilled to have Matthew Walsh joining me to talk about their debut poetry collection, These Are Not the Potatoes of My Youth, that came out last year. I've been trying for a little bit to get Matthew on the show. I'm glad that we were able to finally link up because this was one of my favorite books. I say it in the interview probably a couple times, um, but when I read this, it really made me rethink the way that I write. I don't want to spoil the episode because this is stuff that I talk about in there, but it's a book that I can't recommend enough. It's out with Goose Lane Editions last year. Um, If you're wondering who Matthew Walsh is, let me tell you. Matthew released their debut poetry collection under the whimsical title, These Are Not the Potatoes of My Youth, in 2019. This is coming from CBC Books. The book offers a confessional chronicle of Walsh's upbringing in rural Nova Scotia, and then meanders across the country as the poet explores their queer identity with humor, surprise, and frankness. Walsh has previously contributed poetry to publications like the Malahat Review and ARC. They are now based in Toronto. CBC Books named Walsh a writer to watch in 2019. I am naming Walsh one of my favorite writers of 2019. Uh, Today we are going to be talking about this collection. We're going to be talking about all sorts of things to do with poetry. Um, This is a really cool episode and I am just very excited to bring it to you. So without further ado, let's jump right in. virtually today with Matthew Walsh. Matthew, how's it going? Great, how are you? I am so good and I'm so excited to be chatting about These Are Not the Potatoes of My Youth, which was one of my favorite books that I've read recently. Ah! Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, no, I I thoroughly (laughs) enjoyed it. I think I tweeted a long time ago about it when I was first reading it and I think I said something like it made me rethink line breaks, which could not be more true. Um, Oh, When I think of this book, I think of really cool content and some very creative poems, but the thing that I took away from it most for some reason was the line breaks, so I'm eager to pick your brain about that a little bit, um, because it really made me rethink my own writing and and how I can style things. Um, Mm -hmm. But before we jump in, um, could I get you, for people who might not know your work, to kind of tell me a little bit about your writing style? Um, it's sort of, uh, I don't, I, I, sometimes I don't know how to talk about it, but, um, it's just sort of like how I start writing a poem is sometimes maybe I'll go for a walk. And if I see something that's cool, like while I'm out for the walk, I will like try to like build a poem off of that. Like if I see like a weird sign or like if I hear something weird that someone has said, or if I just see something weird in like the grocery store or something. Um, I'll try to build a poem around that and then just like try to think of other like kind of imagery that fits that and then eventually a poem forms. Yeah um, I remember reading a review a while ago or maybe it was a description of the book or something somebody described your writing as like a wandering style uh, which I think is very appropriate to to this book and it sounds like the way that you come up with poems as well. 
That's how my brain works. My brain really wanders a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's apparent in the writing, but like, I mean that in such a nice way. It's, it's really cool the way that you connect things together. So I'm eager to have people become familiar with your work. Um, So maybe could Uh I get you to read a poem to start us off? Uh, yeah. Um, let me find one. I'll I'll read you one that I wrote like a long time ago that's in this book. Cool. Uh, It's called Maurice. You'd sit on that rat-eaten chair in the kitchen at night writing Rachel and adulterous woman better parts. They'd wear dark oceans of mascara in your hands and look right streal or prance naked in the forest moonlight drinking water with a herd of deer. I'd follow your hoof prints to ha-ha on the hill to visit your folks, washing your hands in the stream before you go. And oh, looking back, how your hair caught the wind and swam like a school of minnows. After the doughboys go on the stew, you'd sit in your chair, close your eyes to Mozart and sigh. I know how you love Mozart with all your heart. I plant a burly kiss on your brow. In bed at night, I hear the door click, and you'll prowl the night till the sky goes periwinkle. Once you came home from your funk hole, whispering, I can speak worm now. At night, I don't wonder where my love is. If you're hanging Dickinson poems from the trees in your dringle way, or draining the heel taps from the table, you are just unbelievable because one night I saw you springing over the mountains. So cool. Thank you for sharing that. I really, really like that poem. It was one of the ones I had like flagged in the book. So that's neat. I wrote that (laughs) in my undergrad like years and years ago. Really? That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask how long it took to write this book for you. It's something I've been asking a lot of uh, poets lately. So I went into the UBC program thinking that I was going to do my my, uh, thesis in fiction. And then halfway through writing fiction, I was like, I'm never going to finish this. I'm not really good at writing fiction because of like the structure is so formal. Like it has to, you know, I feel like uh, fiction is more formal. So I was like, I'm going to switch to poetry. And I had all of these poems I had written in my poetry class, plus a bunch that I had written in my undergrad. And then I wrote about like 25 or 30 more poems. And then I just submitted it. And so it probably took probably three years. Oh, wow. Something like that. Probably less. But like considering some of the poems are from my undergrad and then some of the poems are from um, my time at UBC and then after UBC, I would say maybe three years. Very cool. Off and on. I think a lot of people don't recognize how long it takes to write a book of poetry is kind of the conclusion I'm coming to lately. It's like... I definitely didn't know when I first started reading poetry that it took people, and this is not like three years seems like a pretty normal amount of time for people to write a book of poems. Um, Yeah. Like it's insane because poetry is often so short and brief that people think, oh, you can write a book really quickly of poems, but that's often not the case. Um, And it's really interesting too. I really like your book, especially because it seems like there are poems about so many different things that- Uh it might have had to take a while to come up with. Um, And one question that came up when you were talking there, I mean, you mentioned there's a bit of a difference between fiction and writing poetry. Um, And so I'm wondering what makes a story um, seem like it should be a poem to you? Hmm. 
I feel like if this, like if you're thinking about the story more visually, then it's easier to turn it into a poem. But if you're thinking more of like, if you're thinking more of the story about like dialogue and like interchanges between the characters, then it's probably more fictiony. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So it's it's image driven for you. I'm very like I'm a very visual person, and then I also like have to learn things visually. Like I'm look, I have to like look up stuff to like hook up my Nintendo to the TV because I have to like see it visually. Someone can't like <laughs> explain it to me. I know it seems like a simple thing, but like I'm not very technically savvy. <laughs> Fair enough. Neither am I. Like finding this, we're recording uh, for listeners like online again because we're in the middle of this quarantine. Um, and also, Matthew lives in Toronto, and I live in Vancouver, so this is the only way we can really do it. Um, and it took me a long time to find this website that we're recording on right now. And, and it's still easy. It works. Now it works, um, and it's easy to like set up, but it took me forever to figure out and to find. Um, I am wondering as well. So I mentioned um, line breaks. Um, yeah. Because this is one of the things that I wanted to talk about um, with you. I'm wondering, uh, I guess just a really basic question that could be kind of difficult to ask. So I'm sorry for pinning this on you. but um, It's okay. I'll try to answer it as best I can. <laughs> okay. um, I guess what is the right spot to end a line for you? I guess it changes line to line. But what is kind of like the criteria for the Matthew Walsh line break? Sometimes, I don't know, I, sometimes I like when the image carries over to the next line or like a, on a certain word that could mean a bunch of different things and then you can invert the meaning of that word in the next line. Yeah, I kind of like that. I think that might be what I was picking up on in, in the book and what has got me thinking in different ways about my own writing is how can, you know, the way that I end this line change what it means when I yeah. stride over into the next. Um, and that's something that like, it became apparent to me after reading like one or two poems in this book that, okay, this was going to be a big lesson for me as a writer reading your book. Um, oh my God. That's so nice to say. No, it's true. I really like, <laughs> this is one of the books that I picked up. I don't know. Um, I was unfamiliar with your work before. And so I don't know why or how I came across this book. Um, I think somebody must have recommended it to me. But as soon as I read it, I was like, oh, wow, I need to uh, talk to this writer. And so I'm so excited uh-huh. to be able to like actually sit down and chat with you um, because it's one of the books that I keep coming back to as well. I think there's a lot in here to like go back to and check out. Um, oh, so, wow. Yeah. And I, I mean, I recommend books a lot on the podcast as like a product of me picking who I talk to. Of course, I'm going to be excited about their books, um, but I'm very excited today <laughs> about this book, as you can probably tell. Um, so I've asked a couple of my questions, um, already, but one that I have written down that I'm wondering, um, comes from my last guest for you. Um, okay, well, okay. so John Elizabeth Stinzi is wondering in quarantine, what world has given you the most comfort or escape? It can be fictional or otherwise like a book or a show or something in your life that has given you a sense of escape or comfort. Oh, whoa. Okay. So I've been reading like a lot of books. Um, right now I'm reading this book called uh, Indel- Indelicacy by Amina Kane, which is like very, very amazing. I'm also reading um, My Private Property by Mary Roffel. And I've also been reading a lot of like horror, um, horror novels. 
So I've been reading a lot of Shirley Jackson. I just finished um, We Have Always Lived in the Castle, which is amazing, like very, very amazing. And I've been watching lots of reality TV shows. Like I just finished watching the whole season of In the Cut yesterday. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and I've been like watercoloring a lot and then letting them dry and then, then tracing them over with like black ink, like looking for little pictures. Um, oh, so I've been doing those things and those have been very good escapes. Yeah, that's neat. I have not heard of that. That's kind of a fun, uh, like artistic experiment to do. Yeah. I just dump a bunch of watercolor on a paper and I let it dry and then I start tracing and like looking for images in it. What a cool idea. Um, do you find, I guess this is a bit of a stretch of a question, but I'm wondering like, do you find that art is something you come back to a lot in your writing or is it kind of more life experience going for those walks that we were talking about, that sort of thing? The reason I go for walks is to see like things, like things happening or like pieces of art. Like there's a ton of graffiti in Toronto, mm -hmm. which is always changing. And I always like that it's like ephemeral and it's always different when I walk by. Um, but yeah, I love to um, draw and create and like make little cartoons. Like, I'm not, like, an excellent drawer. I'm more of, like, a cartoonier drawer, like a doodler. Because my mom used to sit on the phone, and while she was, like, talking to people, she would just doodle on a piece of paper, like, words and, like, little pictures and flowers. So I think that's where I got it from, because I used to watch her do that. Um, so, like, that's basically where I started drawing, like, making little pictures and stuff. Interesting. Um, and you talk about your family a bit in the book as well. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's kind of some cool stuff there. Um, what did you find? Because a lot of your book does come from like this sort of walking idea and like going around and looking at things, and then this seems to dig up stories from like growing up and being with your family mm -hmm. as well. Um, the title comes from your family, I believe. Um, like growing up on a potato farm. Am yeah. I right about that? Yeah. Um, um, where, yeah. Maybe like, could you just talk a little bit about writing about your family? How does that um, go? Like. What is your process there? I don't know. Um, I think always, like, one thing reminds you of another thing. Like, you could be in, like, the grocery store and see, like, a bunch of bologna and think about the time that your mom cooked you, like, a bologna sandwich. And that could be, like, a poem, you know? Or, you know, you just have, like, memories of things that, like, weird things that your mom said or, like, like funny things that happened when you were growing up. Like, whenever we had lobsters, my mom would get me to, like, take all the shells and stuff and, like, throw them in the bushes. Oh, okay. It was, like, this weird thing. I don't know why we did that, but, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I guess, like, there's a lot of influences that feed into your work. Um, and as I mentioned, I guess one of them being your family comes up with the title of the book and I'm also I was enthralled by the titles of your poems too I thought they were really really cool um uh -huh. so I'm wondering what makes a good title titles are so hard like most of the titles that are in the book have stayed the titles okay. um like I didn't change any of the titles um I came up with the title of the book just like randomly one morning when I lived in Vancouver I woke up and I had this dream about Shakespeare and I had that line in my head from one of his plays. Uh, the, these are not the winters of our discontent or something like, I forget what the line is. But anyway, I was thinking that and then it turned into, when I said it out loud, when I woke up, 
I was thinking these are not the potatoes of my youth and it kind of had like the same meter and I was like that's the title of the book so like I just kind of stuck with it yeah no that's kind of it kind of came from a Shakespeare dream weird okay I love it um I was gonna ask too like who your main influences are in a literary sense it seems like your poems come from all sorts of different things um yeah i really really like when i was in los angeles for one of those awp things i really went i really loved um dorothea lasky okay and i just love how her stuff is just so weird like she can talk about the moon in a poem and it's not like cliche or anything like that it's like very original and i just love the way she performs her poems she just has this like very distinct style and then there's this, like, uh, when I was, like, doing the edits on the book, my editor showed me this stand-up comedian, um, Julio Torres, who used to write for SNL. And he's, like, very funny. And he has this, like, way of delivering his work, which is, like, very cool as well. So those people inspired me a lot. And I really like Karen Soli. Um Harriet Mullen is really cool because she's very adventurous in her style. Um, But there's like a ton of people I could name. (laughs) Yeah, no, of course, like the list is probably very, very long, but it's cool to get these names. And like, it's fascinating to me that a stand-up comedian would be one of the main influences that comes to mind for you. I just love the way he delivers his jokes because he kind of like delays the punchline and it just makes it so much funnier. Because you don't know what he's going to say next. Yeah, yeah. and He's just I guess, this really great delivery. You should look him up. Julio Torres. I will check it out. Um, yeah. I'm also wondering, too, like, because this transfers over to poetry, too, when you read a poem. Um, do you have anything that you go to or think about specifically when you are starting to prepare for, like, reading a poem or two? Um, I think about, like, what I want, where I want to have the people laugh and okay. where I want them to think. Um, but sometimes I find it best to, sometimes I don't practice poems and I just get up there and do them. And I find that's also really effective because you're more relaxed and you're not thinking about how the poem is going to sound. And then you can always build from that, like build from where you first read the poem and see where people have really responded to it. Interesting. Yeah, I think that that's kind of cool. And it would probably let the poem as well kind of shine through a little bit more than if you had like predetermined, oh, I'm going to put emphasis on this word or that line or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Yep. No, totally. And I feel like it's okay to make mistakes when you're reading. Like if you stumble, I feel feel like that's even better in some ways. It's funny because I guess I've been doing this podcast for like almost a year now and I've had so many poets come on and almost all of them, I hate to out them, but they trip up when they're reading a poem uh, almost every time. And most people are like, oh, can we, can we redo that? Can we re reread the poem? So sorry to break that wall for listeners, but um, that exists. But I really like seeing where people trip up on their own words. I think it's such like a fascinating experiment. Um, or if there's like one word on the page and they say a, the op- another word. And it's like a Freudian slip or something. And you start thinking about the poem in like a very different way. Yeah, totally. It's interesting, like, because it kind of gives you a little bit of insight into how they see their poem or what doesn't sit well with them in their own work. Um, I just find it so fascinating to look at that. Yeah. Um, 
I guess we're probably about halfway through. Uh, so it would be about time for me to ask for uh, our random poem of the day. Oh, cool. Okay. So um, Matthew has gone on beforehand and found a poem. Um, it was the first one that came up, though. So we're pretty much doing this, like, improvised. Um, yeah. What poem do we have today? <clears throat> so I went on the poem roulette, and the first poem that came up was a poem called Dream Jobs uh, by Suzanne Buffum, who I really love. Um, and it was, like, kind of, like, very cool that she popped up. Yeah. So this poem is called Dream Jobs. Random link clicker, royal bath taker, receiver of foot rubs and praise, ingenue emeritus, good Samaritan emeritus, undersecretary of trivial pursuits, chief executive napper, chancellor of the exchequer of the United Kingdom of Spring, procurer of unnecessary hats, empress of ice cream, cloud development supervisor, Inspector General of Minor Slights, Editorial Dictator in Residence, Bubber, Bubble Blower to the Stars. Those are all really good dream jobs. I was going to say, like, all of these lines are a different job. Which one would you do? Oh, wow. Okay. Let me think here. <laughs> I like Empress of Ice Cream because I feel like that's pretty lucrative. Yeah, I'm pretty into that one as well. Bubble blower to the stars because I feel like that could be like like movie stars or like just like looking up at the stars and blowing bubbles in a field, which I'm I like down. better. I'm down for both. That that sounds yeah good. yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should start a business. I don't I don't know if there's a ton of money in bubble blowing, unfortunately. Yeah, but it'll be so much fun just to sit on a hill at night and blow bubbles to the stars. Yeah. Okay. I'm kind of down. Yeah, and maybe we could put a hat out or something. I love it. <laughs> um, what Was there anything about this poem that stood out other than the titles of the jobs themselves? Um, all of the sounds of the words. There's like lots of C's and X's and K's. So like lots of hard sounds. So the first line, random link clicker. You can tell that she's like clicking throughout the poem, like maybe like doing some sort of research for these jobs that come up. Because there's so many hard sounds, and it sounds like a, a mouse clicking to me. Oh, interesting. I like that. That's really cool. Yeah. Like cloud, dictator, exchequer, undersecretary, chief, chancellor. There's a lot of, like, hard sounds in there. Like clicky yeah. sounds. Yeah, no, that's really United cool. Kingdom. Procurer. Yeah, I like the, what was it? United Kingdom of Spring? Was that that one? United Kingdom of Spring. Yeah, I like that idea too. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I'm wondering a little bit too. You've you've lived in multiple places in Canada, obviously. You're from Nova Scotia, did yeah. a degree here at UBC and are now back in Toronto. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if living in these different environments has influenced the way that you write in each of these spaces. Yeah, I think so. Like Toronto is more urban-y and like gritty. Like, there's a grid system, how the city's laid out, whereas, like, Vancouver feels very spacious and, like, full of hills and, like, nature and, like, more, feels more open to me coming from Toronto. So I, I think that, like, I think your environment can affect how you think about your poems. I feel like most of the poems that I wrote in Vancouver have longer lines, so they're more expansive. 
Whereas the ones I wrote in Toronto have shorter ones. Yeah, I I felt the same about, so I did my undergrad at Western. And so I spent a summer working in Toronto and I felt, oh, nice. I felt the same way about the city there. It seemed very like, compared to Vancouver, where I've grown up and lived my whole life, um, it yeah. seemed like very condensed and like, I don't know, there just wasn't the same amount of space. There, there, it, I, I don't know, I guess I'm just used to living here and having like, everything be very spread out, which has its advantages and disadvantages. Um, yeah. But I think it's interesting, especially if you're out walking a lot and coming up with ideas for your poems, I'd expect that like a lot of the uh, environment that you're walking through would be a huge influence. Yeah. I live right by High Park, so I get to walk through like nature there. But in Toronto, there's not a lot of like... Um... I mean, there's parks and stuff, but there's not a lot of, like, big places to, like, go and visit trees, whereas, like, Vancouver just feels like there's more access to, like, nature and being, like, close to the water, which I really love about Vancouver. I just feel, it just feels like Vancouver's more natural and more nature-y. Yeah, I felt like a lot of the green space in Toronto was still urban in, in a lot yeah. of places. Um, like Toronto was- tells the trees where to stay. <laughs> I like that. that. That's funny. Uh, Yeah, I totally agree. Um, As we approach the end of our very brief episode, um, I'm wondering if you have a question I can ask my next guest without knowing who they're going to be. Ooh, okay. So I think I would ask them, what was the last part of the book you remember editing and like what changes did you make? the last part of their last book yeah okay this is a good question um i now do this really mean thing where i turn it around and i ask you the same thing um Mm. so what uh is the last part of your book that you remember editing and, and what changes did you make the last poem i remember writing was the cringer poem and I think the last changes I made were just like little changes, like little, like little mistakes that I had made that I went through and changed. And I might have like moved a few line breaks around when I went in and saw the changes because I was like, oh, that line works better as like a line break because I'm here talking about blueberries, but it ends up being like blue gravel in the next line. Um so stuff like that. But the last poem I wrote was uh, Cringer. Cringer. Okay, interesting. Um, I guess I'm wondering, like, what are some of the... Mis- Do you remember any of the quote-unquote mistakes that were in there? Um, they were either uh, spacing mistakes between the words, or I changed some of the punctuations. Like, I would remove a comma, or I would take out like a period and make the line longer things like that or like a just a totally misspelled word (laughs) (laughs) cool i i think that's a lot of like i guess it brings up the question of like what is your editing style and like what are the first broad strokes that you take and then it sounds like your end point is dealing with punctuation and spacing and things like that but where do you start editing a poem the first thing I like to do, and I, I learned this from um, Kayla Zaga, is to take the whole book and hang it on your bedroom wall. Because then you're looking at it all the time. And then you. S- my first thing is when I do that, when I hang it up, I look at all the shapes that the poems make. 
and then you can sort of look at them every day and like move around um, the pagination of the book and see how all of the poems follow each other and how it's going to look when it's all bound up. And then I will take like five or six down a day and just like make little changes or change some of the visuals in them. And then I'll look at the grammar and like the punctuation and stuff. So you have like essentially a war room wallpapered with poems before you are compiling your book. Yeah, I have a bunch of poems on my wall right now. That's crazy that to me. That I'm editing. It's just a good idea because then you get to, Kayla is so smart about that because then you get, get to see the book every day just in your face. I've never heard of this before, but this is like such a fascinating and like smart idea. It's her idea. I just took it and started doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. I I really like that. It's cool. Um, What are like some of the main changes you think you find from like looking at the poems visually up on the wall? Is, Is there like a common like pattern of changes you make after doing that? Or is it different every time? Um, I think it's helpful when you see them, you see that like when I first hung them all up, I was like, wow, all these poems are the same shape. And I was like, I want them to be more, like, more of a range of shapes. So I started thinking about line breaks and spaces and stanzas. And then um, once I started doing that, I started feeling better about the shape of the book and, like, the lines and stuff. That's so interesting. I I haven't heard of that before, but, like, as you say it, at first it sounds crazy to me, and then it seems to make so much sense, as if why haven't I tried this before? I'm just so visual. It just helps you so much if you're more of a visual person. And it just helps people. And I think it, it's like a great way to do it in general. Yeah, it's just to hang them cool. up and like, because then they're on your mind all the time, too. And you can walk up to the wall and just like read a line and just like scratch at a word if you don't like it. Like, you can just like, peri- periodically through your day, just kind of edit it while it's hanging up there. Yeah, I'm gonna try this out. This sounds like a really cool idea. Do it. Take a picture and show me. I will. You're going to get, like, <laughs> texted pictures to you of just, like, my wall covered in bad poems. No, they won't be bad. I don't <laughs> Not believe by the time I'm done bad. with the wall, anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, Matthew, we are at the end of our episode. I'm wondering if you have one poem left to read for us as we take off. Um, I do. Do you want to just say a number? Sure. Um, let's do 53. Ooh, okay. Oh, okay. <clears throat> this one's called Sea Glass, and I've never read this one before. Oh, cool. <clears throat> My mother is such a hypochondriac, she planned her funeral in 1989. I remember the playlist, what she wanted. I will remember you. Okay, done. But Maggie May by Rod Stewart? What? I like to ask her about piano, guitar, the fiddle, but not doctor's notes found explaining tests for a myriad of reasons due to a blood transfusion she received in the late 80s. She has never shared the results or blamed gay people for knowingly spreading HIV like some people I no longer know. When I go home, I like to clean the bearded vegetables from the crisper, Listen to my mother's advice as advocate extraordinaire of solitary lifestylings. 
since my father's New New Year's New Year's Eve resolution to dissolve blood ties, she runs straight lines to the gym hospital treadmill at night. At least I know we have the same scares. We've both been startled by moose on the lawn. But I want to live to find out how many prunes is too many prunes, etc. There is a limit. And I know I am not a person my mother wanted me to become. I am a beachcomber, not a fish person. If I was, I would be outed as an out-of-season lobster fisherman. My mother jokes about taking the neighbor's boat out, yet no boat exists, just the water under it. If I was going to share my 20s, my blueberry neck years, it would be the part without myself waiting in clinics and thinking that, as a gay, I always needed to be tested to find something wrong in me, even microscopic. And if I did take the boat out, I could take my Hans Christian Andersen out to sea and read, and floating there maybe as part of the sky. My mother doesn't have to know how many men or how many Chandelaine magazines I have read waiting, thinking about the time in Ottawa with a lovely Fort Lauderdale single father who wanted me to join him on his actual living boat with a propeller, or the coordinates of Venus to the west, which was years ago, and I am here, floating in Toronto, talking about what may not have existed. That's so cool. Uh, thank you so much, Matthew, for reading that poem and for your time today. Oh, thank you so much. I had a great time. It was really fun. <laughs> Yay, I'm glad. It was so great to finally connect with you and, uh, and get you on the show. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So there you have it. That's me chatting with Matthew Walsh, the author of These Are Not the Potatoes of My Youth that came out with Goose Lane in 2019. Uh, I am very excited to have shared this episode with you, and I'm excited about the episodes to come. It will be another two weeks until the next episode. I'm moving, so things are going to be kind of tricky in terms of recording, um, as everything is still online, and I don't know if I'm going to have Wi-Fi and all that good stuff. So um, it will be two weeks until the next episode, but I've already recorded it, and I know that it's awesome, so it's something to look forward to. If you like what I'm doing here, it's super easy. You and I, we can make this official. All you have to do is subscribe to the show. It's easy to do. You can do it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this. Um, there is a way to subscribe and also a way to review the show. If you're especially on Apple Podcasts, you can drop a review of the show. That helps other people find uh, the work that is being shared here helps them come in contact with these writers. And, and that's really the point of the show as a whole. So that would be really neat if you did that. Um, not much else to say. Thank you so much for listening. You can listen to more episodes at theandrewfrench.com or at anchor.fm slash pagefright. Um, and the best way, of course, to listen to these episodes is by subscribing on your favorite app. Um, without much else to say, I'm going to sign off now. I hope everybody is staying healthy, sane, and safe. Uh, my name is Andrew French. I'm on Twitter at the Andrew French, and this, of course, has been Page Fright. Whoa.